Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. All right. Well, once again, I'm excited to share a fun conversation I had with James Sudikow. And James really highlighted the absurdity of jargon that we use in our daily work lives. So they have a lot of fun and laughs along the way exploring this. And you'll learn, one, why do we do this jargon stuff? Two, how the use of such jargon can actually damage our credibility and having people take us seriously. And three, some key phrases to avoid right away and what to use in their place. Check out the show notes, transcript, and things mentioned at droponbyawesomeatyourjob.com. And here's a bit about James. James Sudikow is the author of Picking the Low-Hanging Fruit and Other Stupid Stuff We Say in the Corporate World. He serves as the principal of CH Consulting, Inc., a boutique management and organizational effectiveness consulting practice he founded in 2010. Sudikow specializes in helping companies manage organizational transformation, create talent management strategies and programs that maximize employee capabilities and improve business performance. Before starting his own consultancy, James held leadership roles in several global multi-billion dollar organizations across the technology and healthcare industries. For more information, visit him at jamessudikow.com. And now here's James. James, thanks so much for peeling back the kimono, if you will, with us here at How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Great start. You know, that one in particular I find troubling. It seems a little suggestive and uncomfortable. It's horrible. Yeah. The kimono thing is um, the visual imagery alone makes me never want to use it. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, I, mean, I think that might even maybe prompt a sexual harassment kind of a uh HR issue. On a serious note, if you actually talk to some women in the workplace, they're actually quite offended by it for that for that reason. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting thing, yeah. Well, hey, right off the bat, less than one minute in, we've got one quick tip about jargon. Don't ever use that one. Pretty much. Ahead of the game. <laughs> so I was reading through your book, Picking the Low-Hanging Fruit and Other Stupid Stuff We Say in the Corporate World, and it just made me laugh out loud several times. So maybe could you give us the background for how did you get to have a particular interest on the topic of jargon in general? I think I was inundated with it early in my career when I, I, you know, I started working for what was at the time the Big Eight, but I think it's the Big Four consulting now. They just keep eating each other. Yeah. But, you know, at that point in time, you know, consultants are notorious <laughs> for this kind of corporate speak. And they even came up with a language for it. You've probably heard it. They called it consultees, or at least all our clients called it that. And they're like, oh, God, here come these guys are going to come use all these weird expressions. So that's kind of where it started. And at the time, you know, I'm generally a pretty irreverent type, but I was at the very bottom of that totem pole when I started at the at the consulting firm. So I kind of kept my my mouth shut, but I, I, I wrote a lot of stuff down because it became kind of intriguing to me how frequently these terms were literally just like lobbed around the place. And I just wondered if anybody didn't understand them or if it was just me. And so, uh, you know, as I got a little further into things and got a little more confidence and started kind of moving up the ranks, I, I decided to just kind of go public with it, basically. And, you know, in the book, I kind of described what I really did, which was I got promoted to manager. I'm not sure how they decided I was, you know, not irreverent enough to do that, but they put me in a manager position. And so I got into an office that actually had a whiteboard. And so I decided to use it for my productive purposes, which was just to literally write down all of the ridiculous expressions I was hearing people use and hopefully, 
you know, not allow them to at least not say it in my office. And that's kind of how it started. And it kind of became a, just kind of a big joke. I, I was actually impressed with the sense of humor everybody had around it, although it didn't stop them from using the expressions. At least they laughed a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe Deloitte actually produced a piece of software called the Bullfighter to reduce this. That is exactly right. Yeah. And you, you may have even heard there was for a while, and I think it's still out there. You can probably download this online somewhere. There's like consulting, you know, BS bingo out there where you can literally kind of play a game and see how many times people say all this ridiculous stuff. And Deloitte did kind of do the bullfighter, which is really funny. Oh, that's cool. So were you directly involved with that or that they just sort of uh, took a page from your book and carried the baton further? Oh, look at me. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think they realized just how profound the, the statement I was truly making was. And then they just kind of took it for themselves, right? I think that's what happened. <laughs> Certainly. Well, we'll give you credit. We'll give you credit. That's good. So, I mean, in a way, it's funny. There's jargon. People say it. And, and sometimes it's like, why are you saying that? That's kind of goofy. But you suggest that, that this is actually problematic. Like there are negative consequences associated with the, the use of jargon. And could you lay those out for us? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, clearly, it's not the end of the world. But what I have noticed and I, my experience was kind of partially related to it. And then what I've noticed, actually, even since I put the book out is <laughs> That people have come up to me and said, you know, I know that the book was, you know, meant to be mostly funny and just kind of taking shots and, and having a good time with things. But they said, you know, there were at least 10 or 15 terms in there that I've been hearing for years and I didn't know what they meant. And so to get to, to your point, there's probably two unintended consequences of this ridiculous language. And I think the first is there are people out there that generally don't know what some of this stuff means, especially people earlier in their careers. I know I didn't. And you're sitting in a meeting and people are lobbing the terms around. And at that point in your career, most of us don't have enough courage to say, I don't know what that means, because you're not sure if you're supposed to know what that means. Right. And so, you know, in some way or another, you know, you could be sitting in a room of 10 people and none of you really know what they're saying, but nobody's going to ask either. And so in some ways, it kind of erodes a little bit of how effectively you can work and how efficiently. Now, we all figure it out, of course, but it does kind of slow down progress, if you will. So that's kind of like the first point. And I think the second point, which I see more with leaders than with, you know, staff employee levels is the credibility issue. You know, there's a whole bunch of research out there and you, you may have seen it that says, look, leaders that really can get people to follow them, you know, are, are relatable and they're, they have common ground with the people that they're leading. It's not like they're way up on high. You can't go talk to them, right? That's not the way leaders work these days anymore. And the language that they use needs to feel relatable and, and like make, you know, con there needs to be common ground with the employees and, and using stuff like paradigm shift and open the kimono. I don't know anybody that talks that way. Mm -hmm. So when leaders do it, it kind of impacts their credibility because people are kind of laughing. They're, they're not going to laugh at them right then and there, but they're certainly laughing behind the scenes saying, I can't believe this way this guy talks. So that's a little bit of kind of some of the unintended negative consequences of using the language that way. Absolutely. And I remember there was, uh, had a good friend and I'll keep the names of the companies silent. Uh, the, he, there was a good friend at a major athletic apparel company. He was kind of getting together with kind of a group of folks, kind of cross-functional, interdisciplinary for an opening meeting. And then a person who is at a leading strategy consulting firm asked some question, which was just filled with these kind of jargony tidbits. And my buddy just was able to quickly say, ah, yes, and you must be the consultant. 
And she was the turn bright red. I was like, yeah, that's true. I am. <laughs> it's that easy. I mean, so, so literally recently I was working, you know, I have a, I have a consulting practice. And so I was working with a client and they had, you know, a pretty big name consulting firm in there. And there was a guy, he was actually a really smart guy and he knew what he was talking about. But I would say within a five minute span, he must have dumped half the words in my book on the table. Mm. And I looked at kind of the room because I kind of I like to study kind of how people like body language and people were kind of not really paying attention to him. And it was a bummer because what he was saying, if you were able to cut through all the ridiculous language, was really intelligent. <laughs> but nobody wanted to listen to it because it sounded ridiculous. So then what is it? What is it within us that that leads people to do this? I mean, I don't know if they're deliberately thinking, oh, I'm really going to impress them with this jargon. I don't think it's a conscious choice, but so how does this get in the mix and why do we do it? Uh, you know, if I could solve that conundrum, you know, I might write a better book than this first one, <laughs> but, you know, at the end of it all, I, like, I agree with you. I don't think it's that people are purposefully kind of saying, I'm going to throw all this crazy language at people so that I sound really smart, although there's probably a small subset of the population that does that. But for me, you know, what I noticed happening with me, and, and maybe I'm kind of like what a lot of people are, when you're surrounded by it all the time, it just starts to wear off. So one of the expressions in the book that I, that I can't stand is bake people into the process. I've always thought that was just ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, I literally had a client meeting when I was like a junior consultant and the partner was a really cool guy. And he said to the client, yeah, we'll make sure to bake him into the process. And the client kind of looked at him, you know, a little bit perplexed and a little bit annoyed and just said, you mean include him? And and so the reason I mentioned that story is just the other day I said bake into the process and I almost had this out of body experience with myself and said, I hate that term. Why did I just say it? And it's because everybody around you is saying it and sometimes it just kind of rubs off and then it like, you know, propagates itself throughout the system. Well, you know, that's that's maybe a bigger message and takeaway just about the the impact of of our surroundings and people and, and what that does to you, whether you like it or not. So I could chew on that for a while, but uh, instead, how about you say, okay, you mentioned there are a few key phrases you would prioritize to absolutely nix from your vocabulary right away. Could you lay them out for us? One of them is baking a person into a process and a better alternative is include them. Yeah, we, we definitely don't like that one. We talked about it right at the beginning. I think it would never, ever should anybody ever open their kimonos. I think that just needs to be eliminated right now because of for a variety of reasons. I think the other thing that I that I just think needs to go away is discussions around paradigm shifts. Mm. To me, that is such an esoteric, weird way of saying we're going to try to make some big change. I don't know why we have to throw the term paradigm shift out there. As leaders, I, I hear a lot of leaders talking about it because they're actually m many times brought on to do make paradigm shifts, mm -hmm. but nobody even understands what that is. So I would say eliminate that one immediately if possible. And then I think maybe number four, I would say, would be um, let's stop calling projects sexy projects. And I don't know if you ever heard anybody do that, but to me, uh, it was almost like there are plenty of better uses for that word than to apply it to some sort of process improvement project. Right? I don't know how that jumped into the corporate world that we would, we would call that a sexy project. Um, and in, court, in consulting, it's used all the time. <laughs> So I would say those four, at least at first, should go away right now. Um, straw men and straw dogs um, are, are ridiculous to me, and those basically just mean an outline. And again, I don't know where that came from, but you know, let's just call it an outline. I think people know what that is. We've all been through a lot of school where people called them outlines, and they're certainly not being taught to call it a straw dog in sixth grade. 
So, so yeah, those would be my top five probably right off the bat. I remember once I was a consultant myself and we were having a meeting and someone mentioned that you might like this. We had described something as a straw man, like, okay, so, so you'll make the straw man. And then someone said, you know, that seems a little bit not so gender inclusive. Maybe we can call it a straw dog. (laughs) Like that was better. (laughs) Well, yeah, they were probably making a serious contribution, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah, straw men, straw dogs. I think those all need to go. (laughs) But, you know, it's funny though, as, as you say this, it's kind of funny. Like I, I, I find myself agreeing with you at, at different levels. Like, okay, yeah, they could all be more clear for sure. Yeah. Although with paradigm shift, I, I guess I'm thinking that there is a precise meaning to, so hear me out here. So with paradigm shift, I'm thinking, no, what I mean is you are thinking with one worldview in terms of priorities and how things work. Yeah. And I want you to completely change that to, a whole new thing. So that's a little bit different than change management, but I guess the challenge there is that with the precision that I am interpreting into this word or phrase, others aren't. So we're just not connecting on the same page. No, no, and I agree with you. And you're right. It's much bigger than like a change management concept. It is exactly what you said. It's kind of like my view of how things are. We're trying to change our view of how things are. But to your point, there's no clarity when someone talks about paradigm shifts because we're not really getting into the details of what is your worldview or what is my view. And and that's the conversation that needs to happen, not merely kind of talking at this level of, hey, let's just make paradigm shift. And everybody walks away going, yeah, OK, we're going to do that because we never really had the conversation that says, what is the view that we're trying to change and what are we trying to change it to? And how do we all get aligned and excited about that? Those are the real conversations that leaders are, are rightfully trying to drive, but I don't think it gets executed very well when we just talk about paradigm shifts. Oh, just a, and, well, and along those lines, when it comes to kind of not connecting or, or misunderstanding, could you share in your ample research and conversations with people? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just give you that credit, whether you've earned it or not. <laughs> in those conversations what, what are some of like the the most misunderstood phrases like oh i thought you meant that by that jargon but you meant this totally different thing what are, what are some examples of those well you know that's a good one i would say you know one of the things that that i see and this is not a super common one but the, the tissue rejection concept um, is a really weird kind of expression. And I don't think people have any clue what it even means. Like when I hear some leaders talk and then they're trying to say, Hey, look, they're, this isn't going to work, right? It's going to, it's going to get thrown out. But the concept of tissue rejection, when I hear leaders saying it, you definitely get a crank in the face. Like you see the legitimate crank in people's faces where some of the other ones, they can remain a little bit more stoic. That one is really bad. <laughs> so I think that one is one where people just have no clue what that means. I think a lot of the other ones, people kind of know they just don't like it, right? Or it doesn't feel super good. Well, yeah, I crank in the face. That's exactly what happened to you as you said that. I go, Ugh. you know, because cause it, it, it's also visceral. I've never ta- I'm thinking about, I'm imagining literally a person opened up on a surgery table. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I kind of joke around in the book. I said, look, please don't ever use this term, especially if you work in the healthcare industry. I mean, who knows what kind of negative connotations that's going to throw around your, your company for throwing, you know, tissue rejection in the middle of a conversation where you're not really talking about the scenario you just described. Oh, yeah. So I guess the alternative 
is just to speak plainly. And well, maybe, well, this is something that's just struck me. Maybe people don't speak plainly because they're a little bit scared. Like what they're saying is controversial. It may not be uh, agreed upon as much. It could be, they could feel like they're going out on a limb or sticking their neck out. All these metaphors, I can't stop myself. Uh, In in order... to to suggest the thing they're suggesting and they they almost are are taking a little bit of of cover or protection uh, inside a, a bit of the ambiguity that these phrases offer you know that's an interesting perspective and i might share i i think you're right i mean in some ways it might be a nice way of not totally committing because you're able to kind of speak in somewhat ambiguous terms but you know the other thing that i think might be going on is sometimes like speaking in really common language, sometimes, and I think we're taught this actually through the years in school, you know, you're taught to write essays, not necessarily using flowery words, but certainly not using really basic words, right? And so I think maybe through the years, that's kind of inculcated into us a little bit that speaking in really grounded common language may not give us the credibility that we think we should have by using words like that. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense or not. I had a a great, I can talk to an experience of the opposite. There was this really great COO of a company that I used to work for before I started my consulting practice. And he would literally get up there in front of, you know, this is a global company, like 20,000 employees. And they'd have these town halls, these quarterly town halls, and he'd stand up there in front of everybody. And he would say, you know what, our goal is to make really good stuff make it at a really good price and make it really good quality and then go sell a lot of that really good stuff. And so he was so seasoned that he didn't care. And and actually people loved when he went up there and talked because everybody walked away going, all right, cool. I mean, he he, he probably took it way over to the other side of the pentagon, (laughs) but he still came across as highly credible because people knew that, knew who he was and they knew what his experiences were. But sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking that speaking like he spoke degrades our credibility or the intelligence we're going to convey to others. And I don't think it does. And I think if you just take it one step further uh, along those lines, like our goal is to make really good stuff. And we've been getting a lot of complaints about this issue. And so we're falling short here. So we need to, as opposed to, after running an analysis of the customer point of view experience uh, research, uh, we've uh, driven some insights along the lines. It's like, the stuff we're making isn't good. And so we'd got to fix it. Yeah. He could have stood up there and said, let's take a deep dive and really start to explore. We need to do some knowledge transfer from one team to another. And then he would have just lost everybody. But to your point, if he just said, hey, we got some problems, we got to go fix it. I mean, that's the kind of language he used. And everybody walked away knowing exactly what the issues were and what we needed to do, right? So it was actually really effective. Oh, that's fun. Well, let's see. Well, I guess I'm convinced you've, you've got me persuaded. Let's, let's do less jargon. So, so tell me, is, is there anything else around this topic you want to make sure that we, we cover off when we're, we're thinking about jargon and speaking clearly and maintaining poise and professionalism? Well, you know, I think the only thing I would say is how do you stop it, right? I mean, that that becomes kind of the bigger challenge here, right? I think everybody knows it's out there. Most of us don't like it, but yet somehow it keeps going, right? So for me, you know, one of the things that I always try to do is and do it as nicely as possible is, look, if people are using weird jargon, just to go up and say, hey, you may have lost that room. And maybe if you had talked a little bit, maybe if you had said it a little bit like this, you might've gotten a little bit better kind of focus or people might've paid more attention. And I've actually started doing that, you know, where, you know, I, that, that example of the guy who dropped half the expressions in that five minute period, I actually went up to him and talked to him afterwards and said, Hey, you had some really good things to say, 
I think you lost the room. And I think you did it because you, you didn't come across as just kind of speaking normal, basic language. And he was actually quite appreciative of it. And I have, I did see him in subsequent meetings where, you know, he was trying. He was trying to just kind of be a little more basic. It was hard for him because I think it was programmed into him so much. But my, my overall point is, I think if we really want it to go away, I think it kind of requires all of us just to kind of nicely prod people to use more normal language. And maybe it'll start to go away a little bit over time because it's so in, ingrained in the corporate world to use all that stuff. Okay, well... Well, that was quick and fun and easy. I don't, I don't know. Well, while we've got you on the line, any other brilliant insights you've collected along the way of, of business and consulting and, and, and change management and, and your work uh, with that, uh, with regard to, to people, communication, language, and how it can be optimized? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure I have anything brilliant ever to say, but, but the, the one thing that I have learned right these days, especially with how the corporate world is working, you know, this is the, the landscape we have now, right? We have a landscape of um, people moving faster than they probably ever moved before. People can be gotten a hold of in like 50 different ways nowadays, right? You really, there's no hiding, not that anybody's trying to hide, but there's no downtime either because the communication vehicles are so frequent and there's so many of them that people are in constant communication with each other. They're moving really fast. And most companies these days are cutting as many resources as they can to be, you know, as quote unquote lean as possible, right? It's just kind of the new normal to, to use that, that expression. And so mm-hmm. communication is really interesting in that environment. And what I tend to notice a lot of is people running right by stuff and not getting the communication they need because they're inundated and over, it's overdone, right? So we think that maybe the best way is I'll just keep sending an email to this guy uh-huh. and we'll keep telling him kind of, hey, I need this or this, this, we need your input on this or can you make a decision on this or that? But that guy is being inundated from all sorts of different directions, right? So I think from a communications perspective, what I have found, as strange as it may seem, is the face-to-face thing and getting time to actually talk versus always using the technology is more important now than it ever was before that technology ever existed to supposedly replace it. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I have found when I, you know, I can't get a response on text or the, you know, the email, he's, I'm just not getting anything back. I just pick up the phone and call the guy or I walk over to his office and say, hey, you got five minutes. And I think, you know, our thought was at one point that the technology might replace that from a communications perspective and make us more, quote unquote, efficient. But I think in some ways it's actually having the opposite effect. And going back to the old school face to face is really important, especially on really important initiatives. So that's one of the big things that I've seen. And that pertains to change initiatives in particular and just generally kind of operating within the corporate world these days. Oh, that, that really strikes a chord with me. I remember when I was a, a, a green consultant and I was working with, I mean, I was inexperienced, not that we were talking about environmental issues. Just to be clear, <laughs> you, you've already inspired me. Yeah, right. I was a, new to the consulting biz and I was having some trouble getting some data from a client. And so it was a little bit of miscommunication, a little back and forth. Yeah. And then this client ended up using some capital letters and some red font in the email. It's like, oh my <laughs> gosh, she's furious. Yeah. And, and, and we thought, okay, you know what? We're just going to, we're just going to drop by there. We're going to have a conversation about kind of what we need from the data and how what she said us wasn't quite what we were looking for. And so we were like bracing ourselves like, okay, this is going to get a little nasty. And we're just going to be like, hey, I'm sorry. You know, we'd be happy to help any way we can. It, 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 we could take something off your plate maybe. You know, so we were kind of nervous walking in there. Yeah. And then she was just the sweetest, <laughs> <laughs> most professional, kind 
woman. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot for dropping by. And it's it like, there you oh, go. it hit home. It, it left an impression like, okay, yeah. note to self, you know, in person makes a world of difference. Mix it up. And I think the mix it up is, is a great way to kind of phrase it, right? It's not that we have to do everything in person like it was when we didn't have any of the technology that we have now. But I think over-reliance on one of those technological vehicles actually creates problems because, you know, even within emails and texts, as you know, you can't read body language. You can't read between the lines. You can't kind of have the, the, the nuanced conversation because there's just no space for it. Right. And so that stuff becomes really important, especially when you're dealing with potentially sensitive issues. Those are face-to-face things, and I, and I hope those never go away. I think that's part of kind of what makes it work effectively. We're human beings. Amen. Yeah, we're people. <laughs> exactly. Well, are you ready to shift gears and, and talk a little bit about some of your favorite things? Uh, sure, sure. Could we start us off by giving us a, a favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again? Well, you know, I, I, I don't even know who said this, but my dad must have repeated it to me thousands of times as I was growing up. And, and I just uh, I, I, I think about it all the time and I use it with with our kids. And, and it basically says there's two ways to do things. There's the easy way and the right way. The easy way is rarely right, and the right way is rarely easy. And I just love that expression. I, I love the quote because it's something to think about, and I'm, I'm always kind of saying, am I taking the easy way or the right way here? And most of the time, of course, we want to take the easy way, but most of the time that's not the right way to do it. So it's a nice way to kind of gut check yourself and make sure you're doing it right. So, so I love that one. I think it's practical, and it's, it's actually quite insightful. Oh, good. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? That's a hard one. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of confess to you, I'm a bit of a, of a science geek. And uh, I'm, I, when I'm not doing business consulting and writing books about funny expressions, I probably could not be more interested in stuff that's going on with, um, with the space exploration. So, you know, the whole thing where they found, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they, <laughs> they found what they called the God particle, I thought was, was fascinating because it kind of First of all, it made the whole point of talking in Dargan completely irrelevant and unimportant in the grand scheme of things. But it also was really interesting to kind of see how much progress science is able to make with some of the technology that I was just kind of saying we shouldn't use as much in the corporate world. But it's pretty amazing to me about about how that stuff kind of plays out. So not super relevant to to the book, but it's just something that to me is super interesting and what I kind of spend a lot of time when I'm kind of detoxing from the corporate world. Very good. And how about a favorite book? So my current favorite book is, a. <laughs> I suggest everybody read it. It's probably the easiest read you're, you're ever going to get, but it's quite hysterical. And the book is called F in Exams. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's not probably going to be the, the, on the, uh, the, the most useful business book section, but it is literally a compilation that some guy did of all of the worst and most ridiculous wrong answers people gave on tests. And some of it was they just didn't know the answer. And some of it, they were being a little bit snarky because they knew they didn't know the right answer. So they took some creative liberty and had some fun with it. It's a hysterical book. And I probably uh, gravitate to it because, you know, back in college, I had a couple of experiences where I wasn't probably paying as much attention as I needed to and found myself in some tests where I knew nothing and could see myself in some of these answers. So it's a really funny book, and it's like a quick, easy read, but it, it's quite hysterical. Oh, fun. Thank you. And, and how about a favorite uh, personal habit or practice of yours that's helped boost your effectiveness? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I do actually every morning, and I have it on my cell phone, ironically, is I tell myself to go slow. And it goes a little bit around kind of what I was saying about how fast the corporate world moves. But 
I think it's easy to get sucked into the speed of it and then you miss things. And so I literally kind of wake up every morning and the first thing I tell myself is take it a little slow. And that's so as, first of all, from a work perspective, not to miss anything important for the work that I'm doing, but also just from a life perspective, you know, slow it down a little bit. It's okay. And actually, sometimes when you slow it down, you get a better output and you get a better experience. And, you know, we work at such hyper speed all the time in the corporate world that you could literally just chase your tail around all day long. And so, you know, reminding myself to do that every day has actually been quite valuable because there's many times where I can feel myself getting into the hyperspeed mode and I just slow myself down for a second and enjoy kind of the meeting or enjoy the process of whatever I'm doing a lot more. Uh, and I think I get better outputs from it, I hope. And how about favorite, I guess, tidbit you share when you're consulting or speaking that you find really just gets people nodding their heads, taking notes, retweeting, highlighting in the Kindle book. What's some of that nugget from yourself? Well, I think the, the one thing that I tell people almost all the time is don't try, I'm going to use a bad corporate expression, don't try to boil the ocean. Like, Be super practical and just take a couple of steps of what you can get towards something, get it done. Because I think given what I described about my view of what the corporate world is like, people have very little time to actually kind of think big but they get consumed by what, all the big stuff they have to do. And so just chip away at it. So I, you know, I say, I tell people all the time, I have long lists of, of things that need to get done. And for me to feel like I'm making progress, I just make a list and I get one or two things done that day. And then you walk away feeling accomplished. You don't have to get 35 things done to feel like you're making progress. And in fact, sometimes thinking about doing the 35, you don't get any of them done, right? So just get one or two things done and feel good about the things you got done and then you get one or two things done the next day, and that keeps the wheel moving and keeps you moving towards progress. Great. And how about the best way to find you? So I'm available on my website, so that's jamessudical.com, and that's usually the easiest way to go. And there's a, there's a contact uh, email there. You can kind of reach out and give me additional terms for volume two of the book <laughs> or anything else you want to talk about related to kind of the business world these days. Oh, that's fun. And would you offer a sort of a parting challenge or a call to action for folks seeking to become more awesome at their jobs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would say take three of these words that you use and just write them down and carry them around with you and just, and make it an effort to stop saying them. And, you know, I'll give just, I'll leave it with an example. When I left my, the consulting practice and took my first internal role, I took a director of some, some organizational effectiveness role and I had a really small team. There was like four of us and they were all lifelong internal, they had never been on the consulting side. So they had laughed at consultants many times, but they'd never been on the inside. And at that point, I was probably talking like a consultant quite a bit. And my team told me about it. And they told me about it in a fun way. But where I'm going with this is I actually got them involved in helping me stop use the words. We literally kind of wrote them up there and they called me out every time I said it. And so my point is, get others to help you and, and make it a fun thing to kind of start talking in normal language. And people, and it actually helped build, you know, some team building on our team, right? Unintentionally, we became a lot closer. It became a nice, fun way. It, it made me human as opposed to some kind of consulting robot that was throwing out a bunch of terms. And it, and it kind of helped us do better work at the end of it all. Oh, fantastic. Well, James, this has been so much fun. And maybe we'll circle back sometime as you have additional insights I was, I was trying to make a joke about circling back. I was going to say, just throw a circle back. I, like, <laughs> I just I, <laughs> I was going to call you on it, but, I, but then I wasn't quite sure. The other thing is... Uh, <laughs>
<laughs> well, it's been a lot of fun, and thank you, and I wish you tons of luck with with the book and your consulting and more. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again sometime. Well, I hope you had some fun with that, and you've identified a few jargony phrases that you should eliminate right away. And again, to check out the show notes, transcript, things mentioned, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com. You can click the search bar for jargon or navigate just right to this episode with the the James Sudakow interview. And I look forward to catching you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 